0: Welcome to Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore, and in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions, and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth, and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease, and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Welcome to Episode 7. This was a really special and powerful episode for me because I speak with my spiritual teacher, Natalie Deeb. It's hard to describe what Natalie does, so I'm going to let her do that for you in the episode, but she's a shamanic practitioner and teacher who draws from craniosacral therapy, visceral mobilization, somatic emotional release, and vibrational medicine. In today's episode, we talk about the sacredness of our physical bodies and the foods we eat. When we were recording, I kept jotting down notes because there are just so many beautiful moments of wisdom. So if you're anything like me, you might want to have paper and pen handy. I think this episode is going to open your perspective as to how our bodies are truly our sacred vessels how cultural conditioning can cause us to forget that, and how we can relearn trust in ourselves. Natalie also offers tips on how we can better communicate with the foods we eat to bring us more harmony and balance. As always, if you find this episode inspiring or helpful, you can support the work by leaving a review or comment in your podcast app. By sharing it with friends and or by subscribing to the Mind, Body, Spirit, Food newsletter, which I will link to in the show notes. All of those things go a long way in helping us out. Okay, my friends, let's dive in. Welcome,
1: Natalie. I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thank you. This is my first podcast. Wow. So thank you so much for um inviting me to step out of my comfort zone. Mm. Well,
0: I'm going to start by asking you the first question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, what is your cultural upbringing and how did that influence your relationship to food?
1: Mm. Well, I come from Syria, so I'm half Syrian and half Palestinian. And I grew up primarily until I was 14. Most of my years were in the Middle East in some country. And, you know, the beautiful thing about that is all our food was natural. We didn't really have processed foods. We didn't really go for junk foods. Like it just wasn't a thing for us. And meals were always about family time. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, you know, when you go to work, you come home for lunch. Wow. And so it's always like a three-hour lunch break. So you go home, you have lunch, you take a nap. And then you go back. Some people go back to work. Some people, that's the end of their work day. Wow. So yeah, so lunch was always our main meal. Mm. And then dinner, we would just have more like a light snack or something for dinner, you know, and fruit we would have. Or if we went out to dinner, it was a late dinner. Oh, interesting. Also interesting. Yeah. So it was always like if you went out to dinner in Syria, you don't go until like nine o'clock at night. You know, that would be hard for my family. We eat so early. It would be hard for me today. (laughs) But that's how I grew up. And I spent my summers in Damascus. And so when we would be there, we'd stayed with my grandmother and she had a very old style Arabic house, which meant that there was a big courtyard in the center. And then all the rooms were around and then we had an upstairs and Every day there were at least minimum 15 people for lunch. Wow. And so it was very community oriented where, you know, in the morning is usually when the women would, um, it was very traditional upbringing in terms of the roles Mm -hmm. of men and women. So in the mornings, the women would be cleaning and cooking and but it was never like one person doing it. Mm hmm. So very often, you know, we would see like at my grandmother's, like there would be a big table with parsley like all over it. And then like four neighbors would be over and all the women would be, you know, chatting away and cutting the parsley or drying something or, you know, coring the zucchini. or Mm -hmm. So they would all like sort of help each other make some of these amazing meals. So it was very community focused and very much about family. And our food was always fresh. When I came to the U.S., it was like amazing to me that you could get a strawberry in the winter. Or
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like we didn't grow up with that. And so, you know, while it's on some level great that you can get that in the winter, you lose, though, that anticipation. Like I remember, like I love figs. And I just remember when my uncle would like come home with like the first batch of figs of the season or the first peaches of the season and everything would be so ripe and so juicy and just alive.
0: I was going to ask if you find yourself craving those foods that you ate as a child or if you prepare them in your own kitchen.
1: Some foods I do prepare and some foods I do definitely crave, although the way I eat today is very different than how I used to eat Growing up. So, you know, that has had to shift based on the foods that we have available to us Mm. here. So it's very different what I can eat here as opposed to what I might be able to eat when I'm over there and how my body reacts to it.
0: That's fascinating. And a lot of that has to do with how the food is grown. Like you said, the freshness of the food and the way it then resonates with your body. A hundred percent. I find that when I travel to Europe, I can eat things that I can't eat here, which is
1: really interesting. And when I tell you, like, I grew up with milk coming to the home on a donkey. Wow. Straight from the farm. Like, there, we didn't have grocery stores. Mm. Like, it just didn't exist for us. We had just farmer's markets. The farmers literally would come down and lay their produce on the sidewalk, and that was your grocery store. You'd go there, and you'd pick up, and, you know, the butcher would deliver the meat. And... Right after he, you know, cut it, what's fresh today? And that's yeah. what you got. And the cheese, I remember the Bedouin women coming down from the farms mm-hmm. and, you know, buckets with their cheese in the bucket. And that's how we got the cheese. Like, wow. And so, yeah, everything was just so fresh. Mm-hmm. When you arrived in the U.S. at the age of 14, I imagine there must
0: have been a major culture shock. Then I mean, I studied in Africa just for a summer in college and it was very similar in the sense that it was very communal and the women all prepared food together. And most importantly, we all ate together around a single bowl. And the communal aspect of life and of eating was so beautiful that when I came back to the States and went back to my parents' house before, you know, semester started, I experienced a bit of isolation and culture shock even though I grew up in the States and I had just, you know, been gone for a couple months. How did that feel for you as a girl?
1: Yeah, it was uh, definitely a very different experience for me. I went to American schools overseas, so I was familiar with American customs and the people. hmm I was familiar with hamburgers. <laughs> it's a <hot> <laughs> but those were a treat. That's not ever something that we ate on any regular basis. That was like a big treat to have a barbecue, go to a barbecue and have a hamburger. But when I came to the U.S., initially, it was to go to boarding school. Mm. So I came here straight into a boarding school experience So, there was a lot of culture shock for me. It wasn't just around food, it was just around all of it, really. Actually, I think I came here younger. I think I came at 13. I went to boarding school in San Antonio, Texas. Wow. And it was an all girls school. And it was just a very different experience to be around people who, at that time, you know, now you say Syria or Damascus, and people have an idea. Mm-hmm. where it is but at that time nobody had an idea mm. you know if you said oh where do you come from and you say Syria or Damascus they'd be like where's that and then you explain to them where it is and then they think you live in tents and you have camels and mm. like you know they see a very different image of what that might look like. yeah. And so, you know, I think the culture shock just came from that, from coming from an environment where it was very international in the sense that my father worked for the UN. So a lot of the American schools I went to, we had people from different cultures that were attending. And so I think just coming to the US and, and being like some strange being that people couldn't relate to, I think in itself was a shock. The food was, I don't even remember, honestly, because it's also boarding school food. So it was very uneventful, but (laughs) pizza was great. (laughs) I remember like pizza was amazing and all the French fries were amazing. (laughs) Oh, but it was definitely a shock. And after I spent a year in San Antonio, I actually ended up moving to Cyprus. Oh. And I went and did a year in Cyprus, which for me was a little bit more of a refresher because mm. it was back into more of an international community. And the people who were in the American school in Cyprus had parents in Saudi Arabia, and you know, the Middle East. So yeah. they sort of I fit in better. Yeah.
0: I want to kind of jump forward a little bit. There's obviously a lot that happened in your life between that time and now, but can you just give us a quick overview of what it is you do now and perhaps how you got here?
1: I wish I knew what I did now. (laughs) (laughs) I wish there were words to describe it. But in essence, I do a lot of shamanic healing work. I do craniosacral therapy. I work with stones and stone medicine. So I have a lot of tools. I've done a lot of studying, but mostly for me, everything is experiential. And I'm always looking to evolve myself and to continue to grow and go deeper into my own processes. And I do that for myself, but also the deeper I go, the more I can take my clients. Mm -hmm. So ultimately for me, the work is to be present Mm -hmm. with the people that I work with so that I can tune in to what they're really trying to convey and what they're really looking for, which may not be what they're actually saying. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so for me, the goal is to be able to just really be present with people Mm -hmm. and to hear what their soul is trying to say Mm -hmm. and not what their mind is Mm -hmm. trying to tell me. And to be able to offer them a way to connect with themselves so that they can release trauma and anything else that might be blocking them from understanding who they truly are, Mm -hmm. from understanding and embodying their original nature. Mm. And letting go of All of the constructs and paradigms that they've bought into believing that it's their truth. Mm. Right? We believe these things because we're innocent. Mm. And we're looking to learn and someone's telling us this, so we are going to believe it. But later we can uncover that it's not really true for us. And because it's not true for us, it's deviating us from our true nature.
2: Mm
1: And anything that deviates us from our true nature is going to cause us some kind of discomfort, whether it be discomfort mentally, discomfort physically, spiritually. It's going to create a discomfort. We're not going to be integrated. We're going to be fragmented. And so my goal and my work with people is to help them reconnect Mm. to all those parts of them that are their truths. Yeah. And to empower them to be able to break away from the mainstream constructs and paradigms, or at least to question them so that they can really learn to identify what is the right thing for them. As you're speaking, I just got
0: tears in my eyes and a complete, you know, I've been working with you for I don't know, three years maybe, longer? Yeah, like three, four years, yeah. And I feel like for me, it's just been such a beautiful and natural practice and process of peeling off the layers and it's like becoming more True and also more free. And it's not always easy to do this. Yes.
1: This <laughs> can be really hard work, but you empower me to do the work. In fact, it's almost never easy. Yes. But I feel like you have such a
0: way of holding space to allow people to do that work for themselves because truly we have to do it ourselves. You can't do it for us.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Yes, that is my ultimate is to be able to empower people to do it for themselves because I'm not here to do anything for anybody. In fact, it wouldn't help them.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It would only hurt them. And when I first started, I used to feel like, oh, I needed to take people's pain away. I needed to, Mm. you know, make people feel good. They need to leave here feeling amazing, you know? Yeah. So I was very attached to the outcome of the session, whether it be for my ego or for the betterment of them. But as I evolve and grow, and my goal is freedom for myself Mm -hmm. and detachment, which is really what spirituality is about. It's about learning to detach and letting go. And so as I continue to evolve and that becomes my practice, I'm no longer attached to the outcome or anything for my clients, except that I just really want to feel like they feel empowered. And sometimes it's challenging. And I understand because I never ask my clients to do anything that I haven't done myself. Mm -hmm. So I understand, you know, maybe I haven't done the exact same thing, but I've had to make difficult changes in my life. I've had to, you know, leap off of cliffs to see where I land. I've had to let go of people and things you know, that I felt very attached to in order to grow and feel free. And, you know, these are sometimes and let go of paradigms and constructs that I was attached to that made me feel safe. Yeah. Right. So I understand how challenging those things can be. But because I've done it myself, I can then carry that resonance and that vibration. And when I speak of it, then the truth comes out.
2: Mm-hmm. it's
1: what I speak is true because I've been there and I've done something similar yeah at its essence and so I can speak with confidence to help encourage people to make the shifts that they need to make or to let go of the paradigms or attachments that they're still holding on to and yet I'm not attached to whether they do it or not I'm here mm-hmm. for them
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and if they need yeah. 10 years to do it then so be it and if they can do it in three months, then great. There's no judgment on my part. It's not my journey. My journey, I believe, is to be here and be of service to humanity.
0: I think that's so powerful and that detachment is really everything. You know, even in as I've come to change my line of work and as I start to go deeper, I realize that I have to do it for myself. I have to do it for the upliftment of myself. I don't know if that's a word. And in doing that, I know that I can impact other people. I can't do it from the other way around. I can't do it to impact other people first. That can't be the number one priority Mm -hmm. because it's just not authentic. No. And it doesn't work.
1: No. And then you're also then attached to the outcome of what other people do. Right. Yes. Hi there. I just wanted to pop
0: in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the mind body spirit food newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week, along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free. Although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, You'll have access to the full recipe archive along with Q&As, weekly threads, and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. So one thing that we've talked a lot about, which I really love and that you've spoken about in our sessions together, is the sacredness of the body.
1: Yeah, and I say this without judgment, really, and I've been there myself, so let me start there. I have mistreated my body. I have put poisons in my body. At some point in my life, I've eaten junk food. So when I talk about the sacredness of our bodies, the whole universe is within us. The whole world, the planet, is inside of us. So whatever is happening in the world is actually happening inside of us. And when we can heal ourselves, then we can heal the world. And so the work really comes down to us and our relationship with ourselves and with our bodies. When spirit becomes matter, it becomes the soul. So our soul speaks to us through our bodies. Mm. And that Mm. makes our bodies incredibly sacred. But even more than that, it's the concept that as a spirit, this is what we've chosen to embody. Mm. So when you buy a car, how do you treat your car? Right? This is what, you know, when you buy your home, how do you treat your home? This is what you've chosen for your body to be living in. Mm. Well, how do you treat your home? So most people will treat their homes and their cars way better than they'll treat their bodies. But your body is your home. It is the way that your soul is going to speak to you. Mm. You know, so when you have that gut punch, mm-hmm. or you have that trickle of intuition, or you have those butterflies of excitement, that is a way that your body, your soul is speaking to you. And when we put foods and substances in our body that are numbing it, weighing it down, creating imbalances, then we can't hear We can't listen to ourselves. We can't listen to our truths. And so those things keep us dumbed down so that we can be then much more easily manipulated, Mm. much more easily swayed, and definitely more muddled and confused Mm
2: -hmm.
1: within our own life. And what our body can do, nobody even knows. Mm -hmm. how it heals and your body's always working towards healing always no matter what you do to it it's always looking to find balance it's always looking to heal it's always looking to do what's best for us and then we're so disconnected and we say things like my body's betraying me but it's not you're just so disconnected that you're not listening so all of the subtle cues, all of the hints that your body is given you that, no, this isn't working for you. Mm-hmm. Whether it's something emotional or a relationship or food, your body's talking to you all the time. And that to me is so sacred. Mm. And so how do we want to treat that? And we've become so disconnected. And I, too. It's not like I'm pointing the finger at everyone else. Me, too. And our world creates this environment that perpetuates for us to be disconnected from our bodies. It's set up that way, right? Mm. It's set up so that we're always on the go. You know, eat fast food. Eat while you dry. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we're always on the go. We're always rushed. There's always a stressor. The news is always a stressor. Yeah, You know, there's a, such an overload of sensory input mm-hmm. that I don't know if you could truly be embodied and be tolerating all of that sensory input at the same yeah. time. You go to a mall, you go to a movie, it's so loud. It's like everything is... So big, you know, and even if you look at restaurants here, like how many people say, oh, that's a great restaurant. Their portions are huge, (laughs) right? It's like, well, is that what makes it so great? (laughs) (laughs) That the portions are huge, you know, but it's like that's that's the environment that has been created that makes it very challenging for us to be able to hear ourselves. And in order to hear ourselves, we need quiet. We need some stillness. But our body never betrays us. It's us. It is a part of you. So it's not betraying you. It's talking to you. I love how you said
0: that your body is always working towards healing. Because if we can yeah. shift our perspective into trust, I think about my own relationship with my body. And I didn't have much of a relationship with my body growing up. but. It took me a long time to learn to trust my body and to trust my body, even during the times when I'm experiencing pain or when, you know, my stomach hurts or I have no energy or can I still trust my body in those times? And the answer is yes. In fact, that's the communication. Absolutely. It's about switching that lens and saying, okay. It's almost like I have to say, I allow this, what's being communicated to me right now, but also like what I want to do often is jump into the fix-it mode. Okay, my stomach hurts. All right. All right. Let's see if we're going to cut out this and this and that. (laughs) And oftentimes, I just have to sit with it.
1: I just have to let Mm -hmm. it be what it is (laughs) and trust. Exactly. And you know, Nikki, it's also that fix-it mode is part of our world environment. Mm. In the sense of it's that notion that we always need to do something. And when you're raised in an environment where Western medicine is predominant, it's also the notion of if something is wrong, then we need to like, you know, fix it. We need to take this and it'll go away. Take this or eliminate that and it'll go away, Mm -hmm. right? But rather, there's so much that we can learn from just being with it. And that's where we need to take that pause. In everything that we do, not just in that, but just to take a pause and a breath and allow things to reveal themselves to us Mm. rather than feel like, oh, we need to immediately heal this or make it better. If I have a stomach ache, maybe if I sit with it long enough, I'll understand where it's coming from. Maybe I won't need to try this and this and this and this. Maybe if I just sit with it, it'll come to me exactly.
2: Mm.
1: that one thing that I need to eliminate. Mm -hmm. It goes back to that stillness,
0: to cultivating that stillness so that we can sit with our bodies and listen to our bodies.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm learning, you know, just to be still. In your personal life,
0: are there some practices that you can share that bring you into closer communication with your body?
1: Yeah, you know, meditation, connecting to your breath, just sitting and connecting to your breath and, you know, coming up with a form of breathing exercise. You know, I study with a Taoist teacher, Master Jeffrey Yuan. He's an 88th generation Taoist priest, and his mission is to spread and teach the true essence of Chinese medicine, classical Chinese medicine. There's breath work you can do where you sit and meditate and you breathe in for five, breathe out for 10. When you double the exhale, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And to me, I feel that the breath is what connects us to the immaterial and the material. Mm. So, you know, as we breathe in, we're taking in the air and we're bringing it and we're embodying it. It's becoming material in our bodies. So to me, that's a very powerful practice to just sit and focus on some form of breathing, whether it's box breathing, you know, breathe in four, hold four, breathe out four, hold four. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the most simple meditations, the most simple exercises yield the most effects. Yeah. Right. But the key is consistency. And I've just recently learned this just consistency, doing the same thing, the repetition. You know, I have my wonderful beloved who's an acupuncturist, shaman, and Taoist practitioner. His name is Paul Alexander. And he would tell me that his teacher used to always tell him that repetition forces the magic to rise. Mm. And I really believe that. And I've experienced it. When we take a practice and we do it here and there, whatever, yes, it's going to be effective, but we're not really getting its true magic. We're not getting its true potential. But when we actually commit to a practice, you know, and in in Taoism, they always say 100 days. So when we really commit to a practice Mm. and you do it for like 100 days, right, now you're going to really start to see the magic. You're going to feel the magic of what that practice has to offer. And sometimes it's the most simple practice. People will sometimes be like, I want something more complicated, more, 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 more. But why? Why have more when you you can do it with so little, with such a little practice? This is my own experience
0: over the past year. Sometime last year, I started breathing. And this is, I do this every night. I've shared a little bit about this here on this podcast, and I intend to share more. But before I pick up my chef's knife, I take two deep breaths And I just ground and and that's it, you know, two deep breaths. And it almost sounds too simple. But then even more powerfully, when I sit to eat and now my whole family does this, each of us take two deep breaths before we eat. And I'm telling you, it is just shifts everything. We kind of not only enter our own bodies at the table, but we also arrive together. And it's so simple. But it is only in the repetition. This is just completely opening my eyes to the fact that doing it here and there, yeah, that's something. But really, it is about committing to it. And that is Absolutely. where something shifts. And it's shifted yes. for my kids and then the way
1: that yes.
0: they take in food.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, one of the things that in this culture and probably others— We've become so disconnected from our food, mm. and so I really love the practice of you know going to the grocery store, actually hand picking each thing if I can get to a farmer's market even better
2: mm-hmm.
1: if I grow my own even better, mm-hmm. <laughs> but going to the grocery store and literally like hand picking, you know yeah. sometimes it'll I'll go through four bushels of cilantro before. I found the one that Mm -hmm. to me feels the most vibrant, (laughs) right? And it's like connected to me and I'm like, oh, that's the one. And sometimes it may not be the best looking. Yeah. But it feels the most vibrant to me. And it shifts the process of
0: shopping, at least it has for me, into a process of self-care instead of the chore. Of course. I used to race through that store and my goal was to get out the door as quickly as possible.
1: Yes. And then it shifts when you're intentional about it. Absolutely. That's what it did for me too, because I used to hate grocery shopping. It would be like, oh my God, I got to go grocery shopping. No way. (laughs) And now I go and I really connect with each thing that I'm going to bring home. And then Mm. when we cook, you know, we're very present with the food as we're cooking the food because energy is going into the food. So, you know, there's no arguments to be had while Mm. cooking. There's no, um, rushing. There's no anxiety. Like, you know, when we cook, it's very intentional Mm -hmm. because we're really putting all of this energy that our food is going to give us back. And so I can go to an amazing restaurant and I won't be able to tolerate the food
2: Mm. because
1: of the energy that's gone into it. I can feel the energy of the meal. So while it tastes amazing, I will leave there and have a stomach ache. Mm. I will leave and feel tired. I won't feel good. And it's just the energy. So I've learned to actually before I eat, if I go out to eat, I've always learned to sort of heal the food, Mm. heal the energy. So I always like, you know, say a prayer to the food before I eat it. And I offer it all my love and gratitude mm-hmm. for all the ingredients that have gone into it. And I'm so grateful for it. And in, in that way, I feel I'm transmuting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of times the energy in the kitchens are very anxious and rushed and, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> stressed out. And Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I don't want to eat that. So I want to eat like something that is really going to be nourishing for me. So I always want to let the food know because everything has consciousness. Everything, everything has consciousness. Whether it's man-made or natural, it has consciousness because that's just how it is. If it's man-made, it's got the consciousness of those people who put all the energy into making it,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So everything has consciousness. So that food, to me, it hears me. That whole meal hears me and the vibration changes and the energy shifts. And then when I eat it, I can eat it and really feel Like I'm being nourished. It's so beautiful because while I
0: know you are very highly sensitive because you're so tuned in to energy in a way that a lot of us are not, just that practice of saying a prayer to our food, while we might not feel it, for me, it changes something within my body, my body becomes more receptive towards the food. And when we're more receptive towards the food, we can digest the food better. So it kind of
1: works on both sides. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you are, you're talking both to yourself Mm -hmm. and you're talking to the food. It's an exchange. And so you always want to have resonance, right? The key is to have resonance with everything that you're putting in. You know, you don't ever want to, if you're going to eat a chocolate bar, if you want to go and have a Snickers bar, then love having a Snickers bar. Mm -hmm. See it as the most amazing thing that you're going to eat and seeing it as fueling your body. Don't have the Snickers bar and then feel guilty and terrible and beat yourself up over the fact that you had a Snickers bar. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to eat something that's, you know, maybe not the healthiest thing to put in your body, but it is healthy in another way. It's feeding another part of you, Mm. right? But then enjoy it. Yeah, Really cherish it and feel like it's actually helping you to heal and grow and you can do that. And I've done that with medicine. Mm. You know, if there's a medicine that I didn't want to take back when I used to take medicine, I would pray to it Mm. before I would take it. And in doing these
0: these things all come back to really living in a sacred way. And how much more fulfilling life can be if everything around us is sacred. To me, that's so exciting.
1: (laughs) It's so beautiful.
0: It's so beautiful. Of course,
1: it's so beautiful because, you know, people are plagued here with this sense of loneliness. Yeah. But the truth is that if they could live their life in a more conscious and sacred Mm. way, they would truly understand that we're never alone. Mm -hmm. I could go outside and have a conversation with my tree and feel it's conversing with me, right? I can feel the connection and then I know I'm not alone. And these aren't things like, oh, I'm so special. I have all these whatever gifts or whatever. It's not that at all. We all have it. There's Mm -hmm. nothing special about me. I've just cultivated more. This is something that I'm passionate about. This is who I am. So I spend more time cultivating my frequencies and my energy appreciation. But this isn't something that, oh, I was just born to this and this is what I can do. And, you know, unless you're born into it, you can't do it. No, anybody, any single person Mm. can go and talk to a tree or talk to an animal. I do animal communication. Anybody can do animal communication. There's nothing special about the fact that I do animal communication. It's just something I taught myself and I cultivated because I did it over and over and Mm. over. It's like going to the gym. Mm. You're going to only get that muscle if you work it out, right? And so it's the same thing with energy, vibrational medicine, anything that you look to do, it's the same thing. Are you practicing it? Do you Mm. commit Mm. to it, you know? And if you do, then great, then all of those Skills and tools and what people call gifts, they're going to grow. But anybody, anybody can do anything that I do. It's just practice. It's just practice.
0: It's practice and it's perception.
1: Yes. It's can you change your viewpoint? Can you see that tree as a being that's actually communicating with you? Can you see, you know, can you see this rock? as a being that's actually communicating with you? Mm -hmm. Because it is. Mm -hmm. If you can see it that way, if you can feel it that way, and the same with your food. Can you connect to your food and feel like it's communicating with you? Because if you can, then you'll know what are the things that you can eat and that are going to work for you and are in resonance with you, and what isn't. Because you'll feel it. You'll feel like when you meet somebody, you either really like them, And you feel like, oh, yeah, we could be friends right away. Mm -hmm. Or you feel like, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm a little iffy about this person. Mm -hmm. Well, those are the same feelings that you would have with food if you just took the time to spend with it. And time, I don't mean like minutes. I mean like just a moment. Yeah. Of like looking at it and being like, yeah, yeah, Mm. this is. I'm going to have that eggplant today. That feels really good. Yep. That's what I'm going to eat today. Then you're eating intuitively and you're listening to yourself. Mm.
0: I could talk to you all day. (laughs) And
1: I can't wait to have
0: you back so we can dive deeper into other topics. But for now, I'm going to say thank you. There were so many beautiful teachings during this conversation. And I think people are going to Walk away with a wider idea of what it means to be sacred with themselves, with the universe, and with the foods that they eat. But I do have one last question for you, and this is Mm -hmm. just a fun one, and I ask this to all my guests as well. It's your last meal on earth. I'm handing you a plate. What would it be? Without any
1: repercussions? Without (laughs) any repercussions. (laughs) A hamburger and french fries. (laughs) That is not what I thought you would say, and I love you for it. (laughs)
0: I'm
1: a complicated person. And that's why I love you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the taste of an amazing hamburger and french fries, a cheeseburger to be exact, and I don't eat dairy. (laughs) But a cheeseburger and fries is for me like just such a comfort. Mm -hmm. It's such a comfort meal. Well, thank you, Natalie, from the bottom of my heart. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I
0: so appreciate you. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food. And by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.